The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. Now turn with me over to 2 Kings chapter 6. And as you're turning there, I want to ask you a question to get us thinking on, on the, the track that I believe the Lord has, um, has burdened me with this morning. I want to ask you this. Have you ever felt uh, to be alone? Have you ever felt to be outnumbered? I know I've, I have felt that many times in my life. Uh, when, I was, when I was in uh, high school, I felt so alone trying to, to stand for the Lord when it was so popular to, to do so many other things. You can feel alone in serving the Lord. If you ever watch the news now, uh, I feel so alone when I see the, the bad news and I see all the different uh, bad opinions out there, you know, and different views on the world that are just completely wrong. And, and you feel so alone and you feel so outnumbered. And then when you come here to church to worship and you see this, you see that we have a, a, a small crowd in comparison to, to many activities out there in the world. You know, if we were to go to a football game, there's hundreds of thousands of people. But yet when we come to worship the God of the universe, there's just a few of us, it seems like. And you can get discouraged in that. And there's many churches that, that we go and visit to try to encourage and to try to bring the word to them that have fewer than this number. You know, and, and it would be so easy sitting in those pews to become discouraged thinking, I am all alone. There's no one else here with us. This is where we find Elisha in 2 Kings 6. And I'll begin reading in verse 8 to give us a little idea of the context. It says, Then the king of Syria warred against Israel and took counsel with his servants, saying, In such and such a place shall be my camp. So he says to his, to his servants, he says, We're going to place our camp here. And the man of God sent unto the king of Israel, so Elisha sent unto to the king of Israel, saying, Beware that thou pass not such a place, for thither the Syrians are come down. And the king of Israel sent to the place which the man of God told him and warned him of, and saved himself there not once nor twice. Therefore the heart of the king of Syria was sore troubled for this thing, and he called his servants and said unto them, Will ye not show me which of us is for the king of Israel? So the king of Syria says this thing. He says where they're going to place their camp. And then uh, Elisha warns the king of Israel about it. And so then the king of Syria says, Who's a spy here? Who's the traitor that told them that? And what they said was, And one of his servants said, None, my lord, O king, but Elisha the prophet that is in Israel Telleth the king of Israel the words that thou speakest in thy bedchamber. So the Lord is the spy, okay? He's, he's telling Elisha what's going on. And he said, Go and spy where he is, that I may send him, uh, send and fetch him. And it was told him, saying, Behold, he is in Dothan. He's not in Alabama. He's in, he's in another Dothan that Dothan in Alabama is named after. Therefore sent he thither horses and chariots, and a great host, and they came by night and compassed the city about. 
Well, do you think that they want to just have a friendly little chat with Elisha when they find him? No, I, I believe that the king of Syria wanted to kill him. And, and of course, later on in this, uh, in this chapter, you'll see that he is uh, actively seeking Elisha's life. Uh, but here they come, and they, they find where Elisha is, and they circle the city about. It's just a little interesting tidbit I was thinking about as I was reading through this. You know, the, the Dothan, the city in Alabama, uh, ironically, is named the Circle City. It's, it's because it has a, you know, circular road going around it, you know. Uh, well, it's neat that here in Dothan, they circled about the city. They compassed it. Once again, it's not the same Dothan, but it's just neat. And when the servant of the man of God was risen early and gone forth, behold, a host compassed the city both with horses and chariots. And his servant said unto him, Alas, my master, how shall we do? I've found myself in this situation so many times. When you, when you feel the darkness of this world pressing up against you, and, and you feel like you're the only one left, and you just kind of cry out to the Lord, what, what am I supposed to do now, Lord? You know, I, I thought you said you were going to be with me. And he answered, Fear not, for they that be with us are more than they that be with them. Now this is quite a statement. You know, one, one in which if I were to tell you that now, I would say, you know, are you discouraged this morning? You know, Lord, open their eyes. Because they that be with us are more than they that be with them. You would think I'm kind of crazy. That's what Elisha says to this servant. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. You know, sometimes the reality is not what we actually see. Sometimes what we see and, and we get discouraged in is not the actual truth of the matter. You know, if the Lord were to open our eyes right now and, and reveal unto us how many angels he had watching this very worship service, I believe it would blow our minds. That he might just have angels here worshiping with us. Can you even imagine that? Can you fathom that? I want us to continue down that trail, but, but first I want to finish what happens here uh, in, in 2 Kings 6 because we oftentimes get this passage and we get to this point and we see that, that the Lord opens the servant's eyes. But I, 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 want to, I think it's fruitful for us to go down and finish the rest of this passage just to see how amazing our God is. So, so what, did, what did the Lord do? Did he send his angels out? all the chariots of fire to consume the Syrians? No, actually what, what happened was that Elisha just prayed and said, Lord, blind them. And, and he, so he smote all these Syrians that, with blindness. And then Elisha goes down into them and he says, hey, this is not the right place. Follow me. I'll take you to the man. And so this whole army of Syrians follows Elisha because they're blind. He leads them into Samaria and then he says, Lord, open their eyes. And they all open their eyes and they realize we're in the wrong place. And then there's the king of Israel. And he says uh, to Elisha, said, should we smite them? 
And, and Elisha says, no, no, these are your prisoners. <laughs> you, don't, you don't kill your prisoners. You give them food and you give them drink, and then you send them back to their master. And so instead of killing the Syrians, this is our God. He feeds your enemies. He feeds them. He gives them water. He gives them drink. And then he sends them back. And guess what they don't do? They never come back <laughs> to mess with them. <laughs> our God is an amazing God. He can deliver in ways so far beyond what you could ever imagine. You know, we, like, we think so linearly. We think, well, we've got, this, we've got this darkness. We've got these enemies against us. Lord, slay them. Well, the Lord can, he might just take them hostage and lead them away from you, feed them and drink, give them drink, and then let them run away and never come back. Uh, he is way far beyond us. So just for a few minutes, I want us to talk about angels this morning. I know it's, it's not a topic that we often talk about. It's certainly not one that I'm qualified to go into depth about. But we do know some things about angels in the scriptures. Uh, and, and before we go into that, I just want to be very clear that the Lord is, is very uh, clear about the fact that people should not worship angels. You know, why, why does he have to say that? It's because it's a tendency for us as, as feeble humans to uh, adore things that are higher than us, okay? You know, in the scripture, when you see an angel come, a, a true angel come, oftentimes what they say, first they say, fear not. And then, you know, th there's been times, I think it was in Revelation, where the revelator falls down on his, on his face before this angel, and he says, get up. You know, I'm not worthy of worship. So we need to keep that in mind as we go through this, but I do think it's important for us to understand this because it's, it's taught in the Bible. Um, Here's some things that we know about them. Uh, let's go to Job chapter 38. Job chapter 38, when were the angels made? Uh, at what point in creation did God make the angels? Well, we see here in Job 38 and verse 1, we get a good idea. This, this gives us a little insight into the timeline. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkeneth counsel by words without knowledge? Gird up now thy loins like a man, for I will demand of thee and answer thou me. Where wast thou when I laid the foundations of the earth? Declare if thou hast understanding. Who hath laid the measures thereof, if thou knowest? Or who hath stretched the line upon it? Whereupon are the foundations thereof fastened? Or who laid the cornerstone thereof? When the morning stars sang together, and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Here we have an image of the angels worshiping God as he creates. So what we, what we get here is angels as spectators in, in acts of creation, in further acts of creation. So, so when, did they, when, when did he make the angels? Well, it says in Genesis 1, it says, In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. I believe that's when he created the angels, when he created the heaven. And then from then on, the angels were watching and worshiping him as he created all the rest. You know, even in creation, God is, God is worshipped and adored and glorified. 
We also know that they are not given to marriage. You know, they're not like us in that way. They're volitional creatures. That means that they have a free will uh, to, to serve the Lord. How do we know that? Well, because we know that, that there were some that fell in a rebellion. So they had, they had the free will to choose not to serve him. Now, if you, get, if you get scared about the spiritual warfare that's going on around you with, with angels and fallen angels and all that sort of stuff, uh, for one, it's a, it's a real thing. But I want you to keep in mind that they that fell out of heaven were far outnumbered by the host that remained in heaven. Okay? There's another thing I want to, I want to show you. Go to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1. This is something that is very curious. In general, I, I, it is safe for us to say, based on the scripture, that angels are more, uh, are more knowledgeable, knowledgeable about heavenly things than we are. Okay, we, we know that because Jesus himself said, you know, when, he, when he was talking about that hour, that day that was coming when he would come back, he said, he said, not even the angels in heaven know that day, which, which we, can, we can assume means that they do know a lot of things, a lot more than we do. But even the angels don't know that date. So they know a lot of things. But when it comes to your salvation, they are still, their minds are still boggled about it. I mean, that is, that is amazing, that our God's love is so far beyond their comprehension. 1 Peter 1 and 12, I'll read that to you. Unto whom it was revealed, that not unto themselves, but unto us they did minister the things, which are now reported unto you by them, that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven, which things the angels desire to look into. You know, it is a curious thing that the God of the universe would, would make a people, that he would redeem those people by his own blood. What love, what wondrous love is this? That, that this God, the God of the universe, would, would come down and would die for us. I mean, if that boggles your mind, you're in good company. The angels are, are looking into it as well. They're curious about it as well. <clears throat> let's take a look at um, Matthew 18 and I don't intend to dwell a whole, whole lot on this because I do want to move on to something far better than angels but Matthew 18 and verse 10 It says, Take heed that you despise not one of these little ones, for I say unto you that in heaven their angels do always behold the face of my Father which is in heaven. You know, the, the idea of guardian angels is not exactly far into Scripture, okay? This idea 
that, that we get in this scripture that Jesus tell, tells us. He says, you know, beware of offending the little ones, of pushing the children of God away from him, away from the kingdom. He says, because their angels do always behold the face of my Father which is in heaven. You know, it is a biblical concept that God has uh, angels protecting his people. Amen. You know, uh, Satan even used this scripture from, from the Psalms that, that the angels would, would protect you and bear you up and your foot would not dash against the stone. You know, he, he uses that scripture out of context when he's quoting it to Jesus. But the idea was that there, there are angels that the Lord tasked with protecting his people. Now, that doesn't mean that, that harm won't come to you, okay? <laughs> That's exactly what Jesus was, was uh, calling Satan out for abusing that verse. But right now, in this very room, there are angels of the Lord looking into this service, watching over you, perhaps protecting you from all kind of assaults that you, you didn't even know about. In Hebrews 1 and verse 14, referring to angels here, he says, Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation? What is, what is one of the purposes of angels? They are ministering spirits. They come and they minister to you. And here, here it specifically says that the Lord has tasked them with ministering to his saints, to his sheep out there in the world. Now, I don't know about you, but that makes me feel just a little bit more special in the eyes of God. That he has angels out uh, to look after his people. Certainly a comfort to me. But before we get too uh, man-centered in our, in our thinking about it, you know, we are, we are so bad about that. You know, God made them first uh, to worship him, to glorify him. That's why they're made. They also are ministering spirits. They're worshipers of God. I want to talk about the numbers of angels real quick. Revelation 5 and 11. Um, you can turn there if you want. I'll just, I'll just summarize this, this passage for you. The revelator is there at the throne. And what does he hear? He hears the voices of angels singing praise to God. And he describes it like this. It says, the voice of thousands, of 10,000 times 10,000. And then he says, and thousands of thousands. Now, 10,000 times 10,000 is 100 million. But then he just says thousands of thousands. So we're talking about 100 million plus. Um, that's a lot. That's, that, that is a lot of angels. I love this. Let's turn to Matthew 26. I think this is important enough for us to, to look at it in, in depth a little bit. Matthew 26. We join Jesus here in the garden. We talked about that a lot over, over our annual meeting. And I, you know, if you didn't get a chance to hear those messages, I would encourage you to, li to listen to the podcast. Those were, those were uh, messages that greatly encouraged me. 
But we have Jesus there in the garden as he is wrestling with uh, the reality that he is about to face as he goes to the cross for you. And so many times, I know we've mentioned this before, but so many times people will, will point to that cup that Jesus is praying about in the garden as he says, Lord, if, if it be thy will, let this cup pass from me. And, and say, well, there you go. Jesus is, is, is trying to back out of going to the cross to save, uh, to save his people. You know, I think at, at the very least, this is what we get from that. We see that the Lord understands the, the burden that he is about to face. Okay, Just as Brother David was mentioning in, in the message over our annual meeting, that Jesus knew what he was going to face. He, he was going and knowing the pain and the agony. And that makes it all the more wondrous that he would, he would go through that. And so when you see him there in the garden wrestling, and he's got those sweat drops, and he is, he is astonished and in agony, that is his display of his love for you, that he would know what was, he was about to face, and he would still go through it. And, and do that for you. Interestingly, uh, one of the Gospels, I can't remember which one, says that the Lord sent an angel there to minister to him. You know, if the Lord ministers to his own son with an angel, you know, we ought to take comfort that he ministers to us in that same way. But nonetheless, uh, Jesus wrestles there. He wrestles there with, with the, the reality of the cross coming up. And then, uh, lest you think that, that he still is unsure about whether he's going to go forward, when the people come to take him, and, and you know, I love how, uh, I think it's in Matthew, it says one of the servants of God, one of his apostles, one of his disciples took the sword. We know it was Peter. But Peter took the sword and he, he cut off the ear of uh, Malchus, the high priest's servant. And what does Jesus do? It's so curious, so very opposite to the Messiah that so many people have been waiting for. They were looking for that military general to come and to, to destroy the Romans. Like I said, we, we, we think very linearly. We think he's going to come and destroy our enemies. No, our God is so much greater than just destroying our enemies. What does he do? He says, put your sword back. For one, he says, this cup that the Lord hath given me, shall I not drink it? That's the whole reason he came to this world, was to drink the cup of the wrath of God for you. And so he doesn't get cold feet. But then what does he say? He says, he says to Peter, he says, I, I don't need your help. <laughs> I don't need your help in protecting me and preventing this from happening. He says, I could right now call more than 12 legions of angels from my Father, and He would presently send them. You know, the Lord doesn't need your help. <laughs> he doesn't need our help in salvation. And that, that makes it all the more amazing that He would go. You know, if I, if I am trapped and I have no other choice... It's, it's really not that amazing that I would, you know, submit to death. You know, but Jesus could have called down more than 12 legions of angels 
and, and could have wiped out all of his enemies, not had to go to the cross. But he went to the cross willingly. He didn't call in the angels. He went to the cross for you. I mean, that is love that we cannot fathom. No wonder, no wonder the angels are curious about that. As they are sitting there at his throne and their whole purpose and their creation is to worship him and to adore him. And they see him leave glory in heaven to come die for me and you. No wonder they're curious. And he says, I could call down more than 12 legions of angels. I don't need your help, Peter. You know, at this time, at this time in history, a legion uh, would have been, I think it's about 5,200 men. So if you do the math, <laughs> uh, that would have been about 62,000 angels. But he says more than 62,000 angels. Now, I want to I give you something here. In 2 Kings 19, we have, once again, the Syrians have come, on, uh, come up to the people of Israel. And they've come up to the city. And the Lord says... I will protect this city. I will defend this city. And so what happens in the night, one angel of the Lord comes down and slays 185,000 Syrians. One angel in one night. Now, what, what, would, what would more than 12 legions of angels do? Don't worry, I did the math for you. More than 12 legions of angels. That would be about 62,000 angels. And applying that same logic to that one angel, they would be able to easily dispatch 11.5 billion people. That's double the population of the world. So, when God, when, when Jesus, your Savior has that kind of power at his disposal. Which, by the way, all this is really beside the point because he created this world by speaking it into existence, right? <laughs> so he could just speak you into non-existence, right? So the fact that he's got this powerful host at his disposal is really irrelevant. You know, he is God. So the fact that he would have that kind of power and would submit to that kind of death for you, is immeasurable. It's immeasurable, his love. <clears throat> I want to go to another verse real quickly. Let's go to um, Colossians. Colossians 2. I mentioned at the beginning uh, that you know we're not to worship angels. Here we get this warning in Colossians 2. It says, Let no man beguile you of your reward in voluntary humility and worshiping of angels. 
intruding into those things which with he hath not seen, vainly puffed up uh, by his fleshly mind. There was a, a teaching going, going around in that time that they were worshiping angels. It's, it, it's very similar to saint worship or something like that, worshiping someone other than God. Now these angels are certainly great beings. And as we've mentioned, they have great power that the Lord has given them. There's no doubt about that. But, but God is to be praised. He is to have the preeminence in all things. Now, you may ask a question, have you ever seen an angel? That's a curious, curious thought. Now, what you see in the scriptures, uh, most of the time when an angel appears, everybody knows it, you know. Most of the time, the angel has to say, fear not, because of the glory that they have around them. But now we also have an account in, in, uh, in Scripture where the glory was not so obvious. Uh, Peter was imprisoned, and, and you know everybody's praying for him. And then a man comes up to, to Peter and unlo- unloosens his shackles, leads him out, leads him out of the, out of the gates, and then, and then uh, Peter turns around and the man's not there. You know, the Lord sent an angel there to deliver him. And it was just like another man. You know, the scripture also says, uh, you know, to be, uh, to be hospitable to all. For many have, have entertained angels unawares. Uh, it is certainly possible that you have seen one in your life. You know, I, I'm, I'm not going to say that that's a, that's a normal occurrence. I'm not going to over-spiritualize this, but, but uh, they are real, and they do minister to his saints. And you certainly hear stories that make you think, maybe that was an angel. But nonetheless, it is God that we worship, and, and here's why. Let's go back to Hebrews 1, and I'm going to close there. Hebrews 1. And as we kind of as we kind of think over the over what we've talked about and the sum and the summary of all of this, thinking back to Elisha there in the city of Dothan as they were as he was surrounded. And then we, we've talked about the power of angels and, and the Lord's protection of his people with angels and ministering to his people. Do you think that Elisha was safe? I think he was safe there. Even in the midst of all of, all of the darkness around him that he was facing, he was, he was just fine. The Lord was protecting him. Now, why, why, is that, why is that such a big deal? It's because God loves his people. He loves them dearly. You were special to him. And we get this here. God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high, 
being made so much better than the angels, as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. For unto which of the angels said he at any time, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. And again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he bringeth in the first begotten into the world, he saith, And let all the angels of God worship him. And of the angels he saith, Who maketh his angels spirits, and his ministers a flame of fire? But unto the Son he saith, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Therefore God, even thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. Jesus is preeminent in all things. He is the very centerpiece of all of creation, of all of God's goodness and all of God's wonder. Jesus is the preeminence. He is the very center of our universe. And then he says, But to which of the angels, verse 13, said he at any time, Sit on my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation? You know, lest you're ever tempted uh, to begin to uh, uh, adore angels or worship them, remember this, they're just his servants. They're just his servants. Jesus is the one that God has set up on the throne. And I want to go back and just reiterate something here as we close out. It says, Who being the brightness of His glory and the express image of His person and upholding all things by the word of His power, when He had by Himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. You know, Jesus... Jesus deserves the preeminence. You know, as I said, he, he didn't need your help in salvation. As he, as he told Peter, you know, put your sword away. I've got this. <laughs> you know, he by himself purged our sins. And he sat down at the right hand of God victorious. No angel helped him with that. He did it himself. You know, the wonder of our God that he has such servants, but yet he didn't send an angel down. He didn't send an angel to be your lamb. Amen. For one, that wouldn't work. Amen. He didn't send an angel down to, to slay our enemies. Right. He went down himself. You know, the, the CEO, he didn't, send, he didn't send one of the interns down to take care of business. No, he, he went down himself. This was a deal that he had to see to personally. That my God, that my God would lay aside the glory of heaven for somebody like me and he would die for sins that I committed this week that I'm ashamed of. And notice this, it said being made so much better than the angels. As he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. Don't, don't ever let anybody tell you that when Jesus says Jesus the begotten sons, many people believe 
that when Jesus came into this world, that that's when he came into existence. That, that is so far from the truth. Jesus has always been. God has always existed. It says it in this very verse. It says, um, in verse 2, it says, Hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. Jesus was there, was ever his delight as he created the world. Jesus was there with him in the very beginning. In creation. Which makes it all the more wondrous as it says that he would learn obedience. Can you imagine that your God had to learn anything? <laughs> and in a sense he didn't, but, but there's another sense in which in, in the glory of heaven, he never had to experience obedience. But when he went to, he went to this earth for us to die for his people, that was an act of obedience and submission unlike he had ever experienced before. That, that your God would be far more submissive than we ever dare to be. And that should humble us to the core. As we feel so entitled in, in our culture, and we deserve better treatment. And we deserve all these things. Well, God deserves everything. And he gave it up for you. So yes, He is better than the angels in every single way. We should adore Him and glorify Him. And it's just, it's just amazing to me that the God who made these angels, made these glorious beings, made us. And here's something I want you to remember. He didn't die on the cross for any of those angels. He died on the cross for you. And no wonder the angels are curious about that, huh? I hope that's an encouragement to you. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.